And good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. We are glad that you are joining us today. And a special shout out to all the college students who are back. We are so glad you're back, uh, Boiler Up and all that. And I'm really glad you're back. If those of you who don't know, I was a college minister for 13 years um, before I became a, a lead pastor. And what I love about college students is they're willing to say and ask the questions that are hard to ask. And I think sometimes we as older people don't always feel the freedom to do that. And I think that's such an important part of our faith journey. It, it's, it's saying, God, what do I need to learn? And how do I apply this to my life? And so when you go to college, college students, once again, are, are very much like, okay, I want to know if I really believe this. I want to know who is Jesus and how does he really apply to my life? And it's less about the routine. It's more about really allowing um, yourself to feel, is this something I'm going to pursue the rest of my life? And let me encourage you, the journey is important. The journey is important because we are not seeking who we think Christ should be, but who he says he is. We not th- let me say that backwards. We're not seeking who we think Christ should be, but we are seeking who he says he is. Have you really let that sink in? You see, sometimes people join churches looking for uh, churches that have what they already believe to be true. Or they'll go to churches that, that match their theology. And here's what I would encourage you to, to do. Go to the Bible. Go to God's Word and ask, is this who Jesus is? Is this what is being taught? You see, it's essential for us to have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is and not just a cultural or personal understanding. Because our cultural idea or our personal idea of who we think Jesus is could be wrong. Further proof. Look at the book of Colossians. Colossians, Paul is addressing some theological issues that have come up. These are people who have said they are followers of Jesus, but in the the story of Colossians, he's refuting a doctrine that was not sound doctrine. Subtle things that it sounded appeasing to the ear, appealing to the ear, whether emotionally or intellectual, but weren't actually based on fact. We live in a world where it's so easy to be distracted, so easy to be led astray. So we need to rest on who God says he is. Who is he? And this is our prayer for you. And this is when I was a college minister, this was always my prayer for the college students who I had yet to meet over the course of the summer. It's Colossians 1, 9 through 10. It says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Boy, that, that's what I would love for every single person in this room to grasp. What it looks like to walk with the presence of God. What it looks like to really go where he says to go, to trust his will, to trust his way, and, and to not just look at things like you think or, or to view Jesus through the lens that you think he should be. But to rather say, no, Jesus is the first most creator of this universe. He has always been along with the Father, and who he says I should be is who I should be. This is where we started this series last week. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we began to look and see who Jesus says he was and is. He is 
the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God. God is in the form of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. But Jesus is God, and he has always been. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him. That's significant because the Father didn't create Jesus. Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. In heaven and in earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Woo! That's important. Anybody feel like you need somebody to hold something together? Anybody seen 2020? And not the old TV show? If you laughed at that, you just gave away your age. But the 2020 is the idea of this, this year being difficult, and we feel like it's chaos, and we're sitting here going, okay, and I'm looking down the road, and, and God is still on his throne, and he's still holding things together. He still cares for you and knows you and, and, and relates to you, and he still has a way and, 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 and a, a way to bring you closer to him, and he has a direction for your life. The key is, are we willing to follow his direction? Are we willing to lean into him? See, when we understand, as Drew talked about last week, and live out the knowledge, then we begin to live the life that God created us to live. If we are really ready to believe these things that Jesus said, it would change the way that we live our lives. It would change the way we live our lives. You see, how we view Jesus will affect the way we relate to him. How we view Jesus will affect the way we relate to him. And far too often, people who have grown up in the church, here's how we relate to Jesus. Now, I want to start by saying good-intentioned people sometimes make bad mistakes. Okay? One of the biggest things you need to know, especially if you're like a college student, is that your parents love you. You might just be starting to realize this, that they're not as dumb as you thought they were a year ago, especially if you went off to college. But as you start understanding your parents love you, one of the things that parents have done is they sit there and they think, I don't want my kids to spend eternity in hell. I want them to spend eternity in heaven. And so at an early age, we sit there and go, are you ready to receive Jesus yet? 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 And the kid, wanting to please their parent, says, yes. Well, here's the prayer you need to pray. And then we call that salvation. Now, a good-intentioned parent wants their child to be saved and live forever with God. But if we don't take the time to clarify what salvation truly is, then we miss the point. And I think a lot of times as kids, we grow up thinking that Jesus came so that I might spend forever in heaven and not hell. And a couple points to that. It is accurate to say God came to earth in the form of Jesus. This is the Christmas story. Jesus came and basically lived a perfect life. By the way, anybody ready for Christmas? Me? Anybody want to put up their Christmas tree? Just me? Okay. Maybe two. Oh, I got one other person. Our spouses aren't going to let us do that, are they? So as we look at that story, though, as we sit there in the Christmas story, Jesus came down and he lived a perfect life. It's as if a defense attorney stood before the judge with his client guilty and said, my client is guilty. He acknowledges it. I acknowledge it. Sentence him. 
but then I'm going to take the sentence upon myself. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took your punishment upon himself. He lived a perfect life. He was not the, the, the criminal. He was the one who did the right thing. And he said, I'm taking that upon my life. And that is the beginning of what salvation looks like. It is accurate to say that God came to form earth in the form of Jesus. It is also accurate to say Jesus brought salvation to earth. We just talked about that. This is when salvation came down to earth. But it isn't so simple as to say God came to save us from hell to heaven as much as it is true to say he came that we might be reconciled or made right back into a relationship with him. You see, that's what you were made for. You were made in the image of God, male and female. He made them, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. You were made to walk with him and to have this personal and deep and meaningful relationship with the God of this universe who not only knows your names, but imprinted your fingerprint, knows the number of hairs on your head, knows how many um, freckles you have or don't have, right? He knows everything you've ever done and, and cares desperately for you. And, and he wants to have this deep and meaningful relationship with you. So why do we simplify a relationship with Jesus as being saved to heaven and avoiding hell? Oh, hell is real. Hell is real. Didn't mean to combine the word. That might sound weird. Hell is real. But I think a lot of times when we think of hell, we think of this idea of there's a, a cartoon character with a pitchfork and, and a burning flame. And, and hear me, hell is a horrible, horrible place. And there is some biblical... Um, reasons to understand that they're talking about heat and, and all that things in the Bible. But let me really describe to you what hell is really all about. Hell is the absence of our relationship with God. Thus, the real downfall of hell is it is the absence of any hope, meaning, or purpose for eternity. Did you get that? In the midst of your separation from God, you have no hope of rescue. In the midst of your pain and suffering, you're, you're, you're cast there and forced to stay there forever. And this is a tragic, tragic thing because we all need to have hope, right? I mean, we're hoping this pandemic ends sooner rather than later, right? We're hoping for the day where we don't have to wear masks to church or to school. People, I do not like masks either. They were like, Daniel, do you like masks? You must like masks. You're making us wear masks. No, I don't like them. I'm doing it because of the pandemic. That was free. But I want you to see that as we look at what this is really about, hell is the absence of any good in the future. Heaven is where eternal peace is found by living in the presence of God. Here's an interesting fact. In both heaven and hell, they have one thing in common that I can think of off the top of my head. You want to know what it is? Neither place has hope. In hell, you don't have hope because there's no chance for restoration. In heaven, you don't have hope because there's no need for hope anymore. See, hope is the realization of a better day tomorrow. Heaven isn't going to be filled with hope. Heaven's going to be filled with reality. Heaven isn't going to be sitting there going, oh, I hope tomorrow's better. No, it's better. Heaven isn't looking, sitting there going, oh, I feel miserable. No, it is glorifying God in his presence. It is eternal peace, eternal rest, eternal joy. This is heaven. 
Now, all of that is true. But when we look at the unwrapping of what this is all about, we miss it because we presented John 3.16. And if I asked you John 3.16, which is a powerful and super important verse, many people in this room could quote it. Maybe you've heard it. It says this, For God so loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. They didn't really, that's about heaven and hell, right? Absolutely. But John 3.16 without John 3.17 misses the bigger picture. So let's look at John 3.17. It says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God the Father did not send Jesus to this earth to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So what are we being saved to? We're being saved to him. We are being saved to the body of believers, the church. If I said you were being saved to the body, you might go, that's kind of weird. Just like also we say salvation begins in the heart, right? Like, have you asked Jesus in your heart? You do realize Jesus doesn't actually like crawl in and go down into your heart, right? That's it's a, it's a heart place is where we say the root of the emotions where the Holy Spirit comes and dwells. I just want to clarify it because there's some kids in the room. But what we understand is as we follow Jesus, we are submitting ourselves to be a part of his body of believers. So we pick up the story in Colossians 1, 18 through 20. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he made peace through the most horrific, violent act of an innocent man being beaten, stripped, mocked, a crown of thorns placed on his head through a, the most painful form of death at that time known to humanity. Jesus gave his life. He paid the price, and in doing so, he reconciled your criminal past where you went and did things the way you wanted to do so that you might be connected back with him not only into eternity, but here and now. Do we live that way? Do we live in such a way that says God is changing my life here and now? Reconciling is this everything. It's, it's bringing all of this about. So as one commentary said, listen to this. He came to fulfill the divine purpose in creation. And then not merely as a canceling the ruin wrought by sin. Let me say that again. And not merely as canceling the ruin brought, wrought by sin, but as introducing a new divine element of positive significance, which was required for the fulfillment of the eternal purposes of God, even apart from the need of undoing the effects of sin. So God didn't just come to wipe the slate clean. He came to give you new life. 
So when we are baptized, we've, we have a baptism right there, in case you didn't know that it's kind of hidden because we did the tile. It looks kind of cool. Shout out to the building team. But as we're doing that, when we look at the baptized people, what we do, and there was a student who was baptized yesterday in a pool. And as we baptize them, what we're saying is we are dying to our old way of life. We recognize that we are sin. And the reason we do it in the water is it's symbolic, absolutely, of our sin being washed away. But when we come out of that water, it's signifying that we are being raised to a new existence. A new life. A new hope. And not the Star Wars movie. The real new hope. A life transformed by the power of Jesus. This is significant because it's not just talking about the next life that happens. It starts here and now. How we do it? You see, when you understand this, and it says, as it says in Colossians 3.10, And we have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to your image of your creator. You are being made to look more and more like him. That's the goal of what we're about. Then you understand that there are two different directions you can choose when you receive the freedom. There's two different directions you can choose when you receive the freedom of God. So you've been sentenced. The defense attorney says, take the punishment upon myself. You are free to go. And you can sit there and you go, okay, I'm walking in the new life, or I'm going to go back and do the things that got me in trouble in the begin with. And some of you are like, Daniel, is that very biblical? Can you have that? And I say, yes, because look at Matthew 7, when you scatter the seed. I think it's Matthew 7. Don't hold me to that. But when they scatter the seed, and the seed is scattered down, sometimes the seed falls on the rocky path and it doesn't grow up. Sometimes it's trampled, and sometimes it falls into good dirt and blooms and, and grows and produces fruit. The seed that is growing is the life that's actually transformed. You've heard the salvation story. You are, you are growing in this. You are living in the relationship that you have with God, and you are not returning to your old way of bondage, but finding the new life. So in Galatians 1, 6-7, it says, Be careful. Because I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by his grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm amazed that you were in the court, you were found guilty, he paid the price for you, and you went back to your old way. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of truth. I'm discouraged by how many people sit there and think, I want to be saved, I want the freedom, but then go back to the bondage. I'm discouraged by how often that's me in my own life. And I'm wondering today, what is shackling you? What are the sins that are gripping you that you sit there and you think, well, I can't wait to get to heaven when this dissipates. And I'm wondering today if we're really willing to trust the fact that God has a better will, a better plan, and a better way for your life. And I'm not talking about you getting the big screen TV. Or that you're going to win the lottery. Don't play the lottery. Or I'm not talking about you getting rich and famous, but rather I'm talking about walking in the presence of God, which produces what? Peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Do you want to have a life of peace? Stop living the old way. You want to have joy? Stop living the old way. Say, Daniel, I've tried to do that. I don't know how to overcome that. I don't, I don't, I'm struggling with my sin, and I can't wait for heaven when this will dissipate, but it feels like I'm stuck in a pattern where I can't escape it. Do you really believe that? Because your view of that will affect the way you live. Or do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is 
and came so that you might live a new way in life here and now. I'm wondering how often we struggle more than we should. So in Galatians 2, 20 through 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, I don't go and live the way of the old way. I am made new. I am no longer living for myself. I'm living for the glory of God. I think sometimes we sit there and go, ooh, that sounds awesome. But God's purpose for humankind can now be realized only through submission of human will to the divine will. It is the responsibility in man's, the responsibility is man's, though salvation is God's working through man. In other words, you have an obligation and a responsibility to work the crop, the soil of your life. The farmer works the land, but God grows the crop. So as you're doing that, We've talked about the two different directions you go once you're set. You can run towards Jesus or one away, but even in running towards Jesus, we have two options. So if we're heading in the direction that we think, and here's where a lot of times we get off track. Here's where we get misaligned. There's two paths a direction of a follower of Jesus can take. We can either live a life of pleasing God, or we can live a life of trusting God. Now, pleasing God at first glance sounds awesome, right? I'm trying to please God. And pleasing God as our ultimate goal leads us away from submission and more to an ownership of our faith. Let me explain it like this. How often have you tried to please people only to realize you can't? You ever tried to be in the cool, cool kid club in high school? Some of you are like, I lived it, you know? Somewhere Matt Glenn is laughing. But as we look at that, I understand that there is this reality that sometimes we try to please people we try to be this thing. We try, to, we, we try to please the girlfriend or the boyfriend. We try, we try to please our spouse. We try to please our kids. We try to please our parents. Sometimes we try to please our small group, and sometimes we try to please the people in the church. And what we're really saying is, in trying to pleasing people, we're trying to say, please love me. Ignore my faults. Ignore my problems. Ignore all these things. I'm trying to earn your approval. The problem is you can't earn approval. Why? Because you're not perfect because sin is in this world. And if anything, you live a life of trying to please people all the time, you will never find peace, love, and joy like you think you should. So why do we think trying to please God is any different? Pleasing God at first seems noble, but the problem is we have sin. And we can't make our ultimate aim to please God. Now, we will please God when we learn to trust Him. Trusting God says, God, you know my faults and my failures. Here I am. God, I know that I have shackled by this sin or this pattern, and, and God, I, I need to know how to abandon it. I, do, I can't do this on my own, so I'm leaning into, I'm dependent on you. God, make something new in me. Help this to dissipate. Help this problem to go away. God, help me to know how to seek your will, to seek your word, to seek your ways. God, make me something new because I am lost. You see, pleasing puts on a face and puts on a mask, if you will, and says, I'm trying to fool everyone 
into thinking I'm someone I'm not when my life is feeling like chaos. And when you do so, you're only, the only one you're fooling is you, which makes you the fool. I'm wondering today, I wish we could take this mask off, but I'm ta talking about this mask. I'm wondering today if how many of us can take off the fake mask and allow us to be what we're supposed to be. Made in the image of God, broken in desperate need for Jesus to do something in our life. <laughs> what would it look like if we felt the freedom sometimes that those college students feel? To go into our small groups and go, well, I was a horrible husband this week. Right? And all the wives went, Amen. What would it be like to, to be a middle schooler and go, Sai, who is our student minister, I'm really struggling with this thing, and I, I know I'm really young to be struggling with this, but would you, would you help me? And he felt the freedom to go to their student minister. What would it look like if we created an environment where our kids could come and say, I'm broken, Dad. I need to know how to turn this over to God. I don't know how to do it. And to know that they aren't going to shame you. What would it look like if we came in here and as a staff and we walked people through in the shadows into the light of their brokenness and watched the shackles fall away of the sins, the addictions, the worry, the lust, the you name it, and it's gone. What would it look like if we really allowed the power of God's best intention for our lives to take hold and we said I trust that your way is the right way and so I'm willingly submitting to you not knowing where this ends but I need you to help me be a new creation I think we would find salvation is not just for heaven but is here and now and we'll continue into heaven and we'll be better in heaven. My voice just cracked. That's cool. <laughs> There'll be no voice cracking in heaven. I don't know if that's true or not. But how amazing would that be? So what's the key? This is all found in this idea of reconciling and, and being made new. Three signs of a follower really trusting in God's will instead of trying to be driven by pleasing. One is vulnerability. Vulnerability is exhibiting a healthy self-awareness of our need for Christ and His church by admitting we have areas that we are learning to yield to God. It's a healthy self-awareness. Healthy self-awareness. And it's really acknowledging that you have need. Now, this is the key thing. Vulnerability without depth is not vulnerability. It's what I call vomiting. Nobody wants to be in a room full of vomit. You ever been to a toxic small group setting where everybody just says, well, here's all our problems. And the next week they say, here's all the problems. And they're the same problems from the week before. And six months later, everybody's going, here's all our problems. And they're the same problems from six months earlier, but now there's more. That's not vulnerability. That's vomiting. And not to be too gross, but vomiting makes you feel good for a moment, but you're still sick. You can expect it to come back. I'm sorry about that illustration, but you will remember it. Vulnerability is the place that says, I'm broken, help. And then depth challenges you to change. 
Depp says, I'm not going to accept this way of life as a way I'm living. I'm not going to live in the shackles of my addictions. I'm not going to live in the shackles of my worry. I'm not going to live in the shackles of whatever sin is holding you back from really experiencing the peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness that God wants you to exhibit in your life by being a transformed person submitting to the will of the Father. How do we do that? In community, in learning, and training. It's called discipleship. It's called the discipleship pathway. Find Drew Phillips. He'd love to tell you all about it. This discipleship is really about understanding that God wants, and that's when the body comes together and it challenges us and moves us forward. Then we have peace. Peace. When was the last time you felt at peace? When was the last time that you felt like you had a piece of peace? I mean, not like breadcrumbs, but like a whole big piece of cake a piece, right? When was the last time that you felt like that God's presence was so enamored on you that you knew that despite your brokenness, despite your faults, despite your, your that God was sitting there in your presence saying, I love you, child, right where you are. I love everything about you. Come and give it to me. I'm not going to judge you. I did not come into the world to condemn you, but to give you new life. When was the last time you rested there? Here's how we're going to try to do that. Through our daily training. Our daily training is this week, every week, every morning when you get up, write down these words. Why writing? Because I try to do it. I always try to practice the Monday morning of the daily trainings before I do them. And I try to do it memory and I couldn't. So if I can't, you're probably going to struggle too. So write down these words. Screenshot this if you want. Today I will seek and submit to God's will for my life. Not what I think God's will is, but I will seek God's will for my life. Now, seeking and submitting are two different things. Seeking requires you actually trying to figure out what God's will is, not what you think it is. And there's this wonderful thing called Google. So if you're struggling with addictions, you can Google verses on addiction. Don't read the blogs. Read the scriptures. Okay? As you're looking for those things, then you're submitting and saying, okay, God, I want your presence to be with me every single moment, and so I'm willing to do it. And I, I got to give you this warning. If you do this, expect your life to be rocked. Expect everyone in your house to act like it's a full moon. You know what I'm saying, teachers? Expect everyone, because the enemy wants anything more than another person to really follow in Christ. And he's going to let you practice what you preach right from the beginning. But if you embrace this challenge and do it, and you walk in the presence of God, and you begin to make this a daily part of your life, not just for a week, but for the rest of your life, today I will seek and submit to God's will from your life, then you will be a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. And your life will slowly begin to change, and peace will begin to come, and your life Life will become transformed and you will watch the old habits die away. You will be made new. You will see the shackles of things that you thought could never be abandoned be left beside and behind and you will be able to testify how good God is because you couldn't have broken those shackles. You don't have the strength, but he does. This is the power of what Jesus is doing. He came to reconcile you, to save you into eternity. Absolutely. If you've never done that, we want to encourage you to understand that Jesus came for you. Would you please go to yourcalvary.info slash follow. 
It should be on the screen if you're there. And, and, and fill out that form and let us know so we can follow up with you. Or go by the next steps tent on the way out if you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be misguided by the fact that you've said a prayer and were submerged that the journey is over and you're waiting for the next life. That's not true. We need to submit. So today, as we wrap this up, I'm going to give you just a little space, a little unusual. It's going to be brief. Chris, the, the band's going to come on out, and in a moment, they're going, to, they're going to lead us in a song or two. But right here, right now, maybe, just maybe, you need to act like you're not sitting next to that uh, girl or the boy that you came with. Maybe you need to, to really separate into a world with just you and God. And I want to ask you right now, can you, can you say those words today? Say them to God, not, not out loud. Write them down if you want. Type them in your phone. Text yourself. I never knew you could do that till this week. It's pretty cool. I'm so hip with technology. Text yourself today. I will seek and submit to God's will for my life. Get just a few moments and ask what that looks like with you and God. God, move. We ask this.